You are entering the Freedom Hut. A clash at the U.S.-Mexico border. Thousands have gathered as part of the caravan, and they tried to overrun a port of entry. Border Patrol agents were injured. Tear gas was deployed. Is this the beginning of a much larger wave meant to not just create a beachhead into America for a mass of illegals, but also to start the eradication of our sovereignty? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. U.S. Border Patrol agents deployed tear gas on Central Americans seeking asylum. This includes women and children. Trouble at the border. U.S. agents fired tear gas at hundreds of migrants trying to rush into this country illegally. Border Patrol used tear gas to try and stop them. And this photo, shared around the world, shows a family running from the fumes. Photos of children running from tear gas featured on the front pages of newspapers across the country. Tear gas being fired at some of these migrants trying to cross the border, including women and children seen choking from the tear gas. Should border agents be able to use tear gas in self-defense? Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, The answer to that last question from yet another ignorant newscaster is yes, obviously. And in fact, they have used it many times before in different forms for dispersing uh, different methods of dispersing that uh, that tear gas, but it is a crowd control and crowd dispersal, less than lethal or non-lethal uh, way of engaging a mob. You'll notice, though, so much conversation there, so much coverage of this event in the San Diego sector of the U.S.-Mexico border, the, the port of uh, San Isidro, where you had a mass of thousands from that caravan. Remember the caravan that was never going to get here? Except I told you they would. Remember the caravan that dropped out of the news for a few days after the election and people said, oh, Trump was making the whole thing up. It was all a scam. Except, of course, it wasn't. They are organized. They are at the border. They are agitating. And they are trying to make a point. The point is that America does not really have borders. That when confronted with the tactics of the community organizer left, Americans do not have the will to enforce their sovereignty. American law enforcement does not have the backing of its own people to enforce its laws at the border. That's what this caravan is really about. Sure, for individuals who manage to get through illegally, they get to live in America, and that's its own benefit, certainly economic benefit and others. But in terms of the overall, the overall purpose, um, this is really about the symbolism of the eradication of U.S. sovereignty at the border. That's what this is. And that is why there is so much dishonesty from the media about just what happened here. You'll notice that they were all talking there in that little montage we played for you about children and women, and children, and women. Well, it it turns out that anybody who has spent time with this caravan 
will tell you that it's primarily what we used to call when I was a CIA, military-aged males. I know we borrow from the military. I think that's what they say. Military-aged males. All right, These are guys in their 20s and 30s, mostly. Uh, yes, there are a lot of family units, but there's also a lot of guys showing up at this border who are trying to get into the country. And the notion that this is all about children being tear-gassed is yet another way the media creates a dishonest, a dishonest narrative of the events that are occurring and then disperses them, if you will, in such a way as to create a smokescreen for their lies. Here we have more journalists asking about tear gassing children. Oh, he's tear gassing children just like he was he was putting children in cages. He's such a monster. Oh, it's like Nazi Germany, they say, including people who are prominent Democrats saying crap like that. They asked Trump about the tear gassing of children. Play 15. Uh, they're not, as you know, they're not. Uh, they had to use because they were being rushed by some very tough people and uh, they used tear gas. And here's the bottom line. Nobody's coming into our country unless they come in legally. Go ahead. Nobody comes in unless they come in legally. This is when you got to say to yourself, wow, aren't we so lucky that we have President Trump instead of what the alternative could have been? Could you imagine? Could you imagine getting lectures from $100 million Hillary about, remember, $100 million peddling influence. It's not like she ran some company that was creating a product that people wanted. The product was access to the United States government at the top level, the State Department, and the soon-to-be president. It's not a product that's called corruption. Can you just imagine President Hillary on this issue? Oh, my gosh. We would be, we would be treated to the most boilerplate, left-wing claptrap imaginable. Uh, but Trump is very straightforward in his approach. To this. He says, no, just you got to come in legally. And, and to everybody who's saying, oh, my gosh, it's terrible what happened to the border. And I think it's terrible that we had Border Patrol agents who were attacked. That, that really bothers me, that people who want to come into America are attacking our law enforcement officers. That, that sends a pretty negative, pretty negative message to the American people, doesn't it? It, it doesn't indicate that these are going to be, oh, I don't know, their best that are being sent to us. But they're asking specifically about children, and they're saying, oh, but the women and children. And I would just say, why are people putting their children in this situation where it is dangerous in the first place? If you don't want to be tear gassed at the border, don't show up in a mob and try to overrun our border. There's a very straightforward solution to this. It's not nearly as complicated as the Democrats want to pretend it is. But this is much more about the caravans that are coming in many ways than it is about the caravan that is already there. If this one gets through, then there will be others that will get through. If this one is able to abuse our asylum system, the next one will probably be larger and the next one larger after that. There's also the diversion of resources that occurs here. And, you know, the left, the libs, they don't want to talk about this, but Mexican drug cartels are incredibly active. And in fact, the drug of choice that they are moving by the truckload into this country is uh, opioids, heroin, and also all these different opioids like 
fentanyl and car fentanyl and these synthetic opioids that are being being made uh, in vast laboratories in Mexico and, in fact, even in China, and then distributed here in America and killing over 70,000 Americans a year. Well, while we have Border Patrol trying to handle this mass of illegals who are trying to abuse our asylum system, trying to abuse, this is really what this is, folks. This is abusing the charitable instincts and charitable choices of the American people for private gain and for political power, which is what the people that are acting like this is all just fine, also known as Democrats, that's what they're doing. And so here we are. Now we have to see that the Democrats have been lying about this all along. Right? They've been saying, oh, it wasn't an issue. Trump was making the issue up. And and it's, it's so unfair the way he was using this. As a, This was an excellent issue to talk about for the midterm election because it's important and because the left is lying. And oh, by the way, maybe a little more focus on the fact that this, quote, mostly peaceful action at the border from the perspective of the border crossers, from the illegal aliens who had gathered into a mob, uh, was not entirely peaceful. And that's all that we really care about right now. So we have a dangerous situation that is likely to only get worse on our southern border. This has been foreseeable. This has been weeks in the making. And all the libs do is try to point out how nasty our border patrol is how mean they are for deploying tear gas. Meanwhile, Rodney Scott, who's a border, border agent, uh, says that this is this is just crazy because they're actually being violent toward Border Patrol. Play five. The caravan, though, the 5,000 to 9,000, depending on which count you believe that is in Tijuana right now, those are people coming to the border, as far as you know, for asylum, isn't it? I do not believe that is true. I believe there are definitely people in that group that are trying to that are going to try to claim asylum. Uh, the vast majority of those from the from the what we call the Northern Triangle are economic migrants. Though they do not meet the qualifications mm-hmm. to to get asylum here, they can still apply. That that that's that's a different issue. However, what I saw on the border yesterday was not people walking up to border patrol agents and asking to claim asylum. Uh, matter of fact, one of the groups that I watched, uh, the, one of the groups that actually several of them were arrested, they passed 10 or 15 marked border patrol units walking east to west, or west to east, I'm sorry. Uh, numerous uh, uniformed personnel as they were chanting, uh, waving a Honduran flag, and throwing rocks uh, at the agents. If they were truly asylum seekers, they would have just walked up with their hands up and surrendered, and that did not take place. Who shows up? seeking asylum at another country, waving the flag of the country from which they had to flee and seek asylum. Someone explain that to me. Someone try to help me make sense of that one. You have none other than the the uh, the, the titan of intellectual debate and, and policy discussion Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrats' favorite uh, n- n- complete ignorant, uh, complete ignoramus. Uh, she's out there saying the following. This was on Twitter. Asking to be considered a refugee and applying for status isn't a crime. It wasn't for Jewish families fleeing Germany. It wasn't for targeted families fleeing Rwanda. 
It wasn't for communities fleeing war torn Syria, and it isn't for those fleeing violence in Central America. They are not fleeing a war in Honduras. They are fleeing a country that is in a crappy place right now. It is poor, and there is a lot of crime. Unfortunately, there are a lot of poor uh, countries with a lot of uh, crime in, in Latin America and around the world, and we can't take in everybody. But think about what she's really saying here as well. She's she's comparing men who say, I'd rather be in the United States than in Honduras because I'll make more money and it's a better country. She's comparing that to Jewish families fleeing extermination at the hands of the German government, which was, by the way, increasingly becoming the government of all of Europe as it took over country after country. Not a better wage, not, you know, free college and free free in-state tuition and free food and free housing and all this. No, no, no. Their lives, their families' lives, fleeing extermination. She, she makes that comparison? She makes a comparison to Rwanda where 800,000 people were murdered, mostly with blunt objects and machetes and knives over the period of about a couple of months. She's going to compare that? So what's going on in Honduras? Again, one of the one of the primary questions that we're forced to ask when dealing with Democrats is: she a liar or an idiot? And which one is better? Which one would we prefer? Would we be more comfortable thinking that she's actually so ignorant of history that she thinks that that's a worthwhile comparison? That to say that people who are marching and then on buses and trains from Honduras through Mexico into the United States are in any way similar in terms of the gravity of their situation to Jews who are fleeing Nazi Germany? Is it is it possible that she could be that stupid? I, I, I really don't have an answer for you other than the fact that she said it. But this is the game that the left is going to play. It's all about emotion. It's all about sounding like they're the ones who care. They're the ones who are kind. They're the ones who want to do the right thing for women and children. And we're the big, mean, meanie Republicans. Meanwhile, if it weren't for us, there wouldn't be a border worthy of the name anymore. There wouldn't be sovereignty. There wouldn't be rule of law. We're forced, and Democrats love to do this to us, we're forced to be the adults in the room. But instead of saying thank you, the Democrats turn around and say that we're demagoguing the issue, we're being racists, we're being cruel and Nazi-like even. And this is because the left has radicalized on illegal aliens. They no longer even make a real effort at border security, some kind of bipartisan rule of law consensus on immigration. They can't even keep a straight face with it anymore. They are the pro-illegal alien open borders party. And we are in a fight with them, not just over this one issue, but over what it means for the country, because in fact, the future of the country is at stake when we are talking about immigration policy and our southern border. That's a fact. Got a lot more coming up on this and uh, more team. Uh, don't forget, send me a message, send me your thoughts, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We'll be back in a moment. Your health is in your hands. If you're like me and you've suffered from chronic pain in the past, 
you've had problems that you know pills can't address and physical therapy can, you need to check out the Teeter Inversion Table. For a limited time, you can get Teeter's brand new 2019 upgraded model of the Inversion Table, the Teeter Fit Spine with bonus accessories, stretch max handles, and easy reach ankle system, plus a free vibration cushion for the ultimate muscle relaxation. Teeter Inversion Tables have thousands of reviews on Amazon and are rated at 4.6 stars. And with this deal, you'll get $150 off when you go to teeter.com slash buck. Get the new 2019 Teeter Fit Spine Inversion Table, plus a free vibration cushion, free shipping, free returns, and a 60-day money-back guarantee at teeter.com slash buck. That's T-E-E-T-E-R dot com slash buck. Was the surge of troops that President Trump sent to the border helpful in the preparation process? There's photos out there of them laying concertina wire, doing other logistics and support activities. Was that helpful? Should that be continued? Or is that not worth, uh, not worth the resources and expenditure right now? So it was absolutely helpful. We have had a history, strong history, of working very closely with the Department of Defense. Um, various operations, Operation Jumpstart, Operation Phalanx, and several others. During this iteration, primarily, they're helping us with hardening of the ports uh, to be able to provide the infrastructure around the port of entry to prevent the mass rushes that we saw yesterday. Um, they're also helping us with providing mobility through air support uh, to be able to move our agents from one lake location to another operationally. Uh, and as of last week, they're also assisting us with force protection as well by providing support, support uh, behind the Border Patrol, state and local law enforcement lines. Have you heard anywhere else? I mean, that was me talking to a senior Border Patrol agent this morning. Have you heard anywhere else on, on TV other than Fox? Where that side of this whole situation has been told, where Trump sending troops to the border was not some waste, was not some political stunt, was actually helpful to Border Patrol? That what the Trump administration has been doing is not only sensible, but is supported by the people who are tasked with defending our border. That's what Border Patrol is there to do. They are patrolling it because we need people who are going to stop other people from entering illegally. This is such a straightforward proposition, and yet Democrats make it oh so complicated. They don't really believe in this anymore. They've been f- fading into this position over time. They, they used to, you go back, you can read New York Times editorials from the late 90s where they would say that Ill- illegal immigration depresses the wages of uh, American and American U.S. citizen minorities. You know what's true? But libs don't care about that anymore. Too many votes at stake. Too many uh, registered Hispanic and Latino voters who are favorable to the Democratic position on this issue. And so that's what determines everything. But the Democrats are selling out our country in this whole process. And the media is lying about what's really happening here. So you have to remember that Zach was forward. This crisis is just going to get worse. This isn't going away. This is a problem that will grow, and Trump has to get on it right now. As unfortunate as this incident is, uh, I'm not sure that it proves that we need a border wall. In fact, it's the opposite. The border worked. Border security here worked. So however many people rushed the border, 39 were arrested. They are going to be deported. No one breached the border. 
So shutting down the border worked, and it also proves that we don't need a, a I think, a border wall because the migrants made an they went out of their way to go to the Tijuana entrance because the rest of the border was considered too hazardous, too dangerous to cross. So they went an extra hundreds of miles to the port of entry of Tijuana because they considered that the easiest. So in other words, the system is actually working. Camarada over at CNN, not not smart on immigration. Well, the system is working. No, it is not working. This idea that, that the system worked because we had a clash with Border Patrol agents where people were injured, where arrests had to be made, and where this now could be a continuing and worsening problem is not evidence of, oh, look at how great things are going here. But this is just part of what the media does, which is just report on these things in such a way that if, if your plan is to try to get actual facts and information, you are going to be very disappointed. They would much rather give you misrepresentations, conjecture, and name-calling, especially on the issue of immigration. I mean, that, that the people went to this one place along the border. They went there because they're trying to get to a port of entry. They went there because they're trying to sign up for the asylum fraud process that they've all been coached on how to do. You know, I spoke earlier today uh, to a senior Border Patrol officer, and I asked these questions. Do we need a wall? The answer is yes, they need a wall. Do they need additional bodies at the border, like the military, to help them? He said, yes, we need additional people at the border. Why is it that when I talk to Border Patrol, whether rank and file or very senior agents, I get one set of answers to these questions. But when I hear the media talking about it, it's like the science is settled on the border and the science tells us, so to speak, that there's nothing we can do. There's nothing to be got, done. This is just the way that it is. The left is just is loony on the issue of the border. Speaking of loony, you got Maxine Waters here talking about what's going on. She's soon to be the chairman of the... Uh, I think the Finance uh, Oversight Committee, I forget what, the speci what the, it's specifically called. She's going to have a pretty big role in the Pelosi-led Democrat uh, majority House of Representatives. Here's the kind of stuff that she says about what's going on at the border. Play 10. I am very saddened uh, to see this situation with desperate people and uh, all of this being the political ploy of the President of the United States of America. He called them killers and rapists, and uh, he certainly did stoke a lot of fear about uh, these migrants who are trying to get in. And now uh, we have this chaos. That's what he wants. He wants to stoke fear. Uh, has, this added to his, has this added to his narrative? Has this fueled his argument? I believe so, uh, because these migrants who now are facing a closed border and who are rushing uh, you know, and storming the border, certainly that looks bad. And that looks as if they are at fault for all of this. He's not interested in solving uh, the immigration problem. He's not interested in credible reform. Democrats have no interest in solving the immigration problem. So let's just start there. The only thing Democrats want to do when it comes to immigration is amnesty. That's it. When it comes to illegals, when it comes to people crossing the border, whether abusing the asylum system and then refusing to leave the country or not, not going forward with deportation orders, 
The only thing Democrats offer is if you want to come here, if you can get here, you can stay. And we all know why. We understand the power dynamics here. We know that people who come into the country illegally, who speak very little, if any, English, who have uh, very few marketable skills for an information-based economy, are going to want the biggest, most intrusive state possible to provide them the most assistance, courtesy of other people paying the bill. That's that's what the whole that's what the whole game is here. We all know it. But but notice how there's this pretense among Democrats that they want to solve this, but Trump does it. I mean, all with Maxine Waters, she's everything is Trump's fault. Things are Trump's fault that no normal rational person would ever say are Trump's fault. But she just knows that with her base, with the Democrat left, if you blame Trump, you're you're on solid ground. They they don't really care whether there's any way you could actually draw that conclusion as a rational person, doesn't matter to them. What matters is, is it bashing Trump? Are you going for an anti-Trump position? No matter how bizarre, no matter how much of a stretch, as long as it's anti-Trump, the left will be with you. I mean, saying that this is, this is all Trump's fault, this is a political ploy. You know, two weeks ago, they were saying that Trump was exaggerating, that there was no caravan, that it's a thousand miles away. It's all going to dissipate. They're never going to make it here. Now there's five or six thousand of them on the U.S.-Mexico border trying to overrun a border patrol uh, checkpoint, trying to overrun a port of entry. And they're acting like this is somehow a situation that Trump constructed. Somehow this is a problem that Trump is behind. I mean, that's that really is tinfoil hat conspiracy nutso stuff. But you get the sense that Democrats would be willing to embrace it here, that the Democrats would prefer to think about that reality than the other possibility, which is that they look like complete and utter buffoons here, that they have no solutions, they have no answers, and they can't even be talking about this like adults. They speak about this like people who just want to score cheap points on cable news, which is what most Democrat politicians are, are concerned about what they are doing. But, you know, it's, here, here's one example of this. This notion about how to fix this and how to reform the situation. Here is Amy Klobuchar, and here's what she says about Trump. Play three. Comprehensive immigration reform. He has gut-punched us on that a number of times. We have the will to put the money at the border for better security and combine it with some sensible reforms, including things like a path to citizenship. He has chosen instead to weaponize this, to politicize it. And I just think it's wrong for our economy, um, and it is also wrong um, for our work with the rest of the world. Everything she said there is either dumb or a lie, or both. Everything. Let's just start with this. Both sides are politicizing this. It's a very political issue. It should be politicized. This this whole immigration and illegal immigration debate is about sovereignty. Is about whether or not we have a nation. That's the kind of debate that we should be having in public. And yes, people should feel passionately about it because the future of this country is at stake. That is no exaggeration. So just this this idea that, that Trump has, has made this political and the Democrats are somehow above that, the Democrats are not involved in politicizing this situation, is, is that's just laughable. I and mean, that's just weak, weak thinking. 
But in terms of the actual solutions that are offered, why is it we always hear that they want to devote more resources to the border, but when Trump sends troops, something that's been done by numerous administrations before him, it's all a joke, it's all for show, he's such a bad guy. Why is it that when he says we should build a wall and we should increase existing fencing, which anybody at the San Diego sector of the border will tell you has been incredibly effective at reducing crossings. Remember, this is just like any law enforcement problem. It's not about 100%. It's about getting it as close to 100% as you, as you realistically can without sacrificing too much else in the process. Putting up a barrier is not sacrificing anything. All it does is help you. So if they really are serious about this, if people like Senator Klobuchar are there, who are saying that they want to take constructive action at the border, why does that not include a border wall? Why does it not include at least, why not try a fence in some more parts of the border where they've had a lot of trafficking going on, and then if that's effective, add to it? Oh, that's right, because they just don't want to concede on the issue because Trump has been right, and they know he's been right, and if they were at this point do anything to make that wall a reality, then then they would just, in their minds, be signing on for Trump's clear reelection in 2020. So they want to talk about making it political. The wall is all about politics. If it were about security, they'd build the dang wall. But it's not about security. It's about what is most politically effective and politically desirable for Democrats. And that's what's that's what their focus is on. The Democrats are the ones pushing sanctuary cities, which is going to entice people to come to this country. The Democrats were the ones that were talking about abolishing ICE, which entices entice, you know, more people to come to this country illegally. I've been up on the Hill numerous times, so has the Secretary uh, Nielsen up on the Hill, asking Congress to clue, close the loopholes, which they wouldn't do. There would not be a caravan today if they would have closed the loopholes on Florida's settlement agreement about detaining families or, or raised the bar for asylum. If they would have took the necessary steps they needed to take, we wouldn't have a caravan. So if she wants to blame somebody for the current situation she needs to look in the mirror that was uh former ice director acting ice director thomas homan who is just going around spreading facts and truth about immigration and so driving liberals completely completely nuts in the process they, they hate that they hate having somebody who actually really knows the issue has been down there knows the issue much better than they do explaining why Essentially, the Democrat position on this is a pile of garbage. They don't want to make this problem go away. They don't want to address this or deal with this. They actually like the status quo. The status quo politically benefits them and gives them the additional leverage against Republicans of always saying, we just want amnesty, we just want amnesty. It's effective at getting out the vote for, uh, for Democrats from Hispanic and Latino voters. They know that. Even though, you know, a pretty large percentage of of the Latino American population does not support illegal immigration, which I always think is so interesting. I don't want to I don't want to cite the statistics off the top of my head, but I know it's pretty, pretty big chunk. It's always treated like, oh, they all they meaning the Latino Americans and and Hispanic Americans, they all just are so pro illegal immigration when the, the truth is that that's not really that's not really supported by the facts. A lot of them are, but certainly not all of them. Uh, but but they're not taking the steps here to deal with this. And remember, this is all a result of the Obama administration deciding that they were going to change the standards and relax the standards for letting people get asylum into the country. You know, Obama, who was initially 
presenting himself as very tough on the border. We know that that's, of course, largely through changing definitions and, and through dishonesty about what was really going on with Obama on the border. I mean, there were people being deported, but most of those who were listed as deported were people who were caught crossing the border and just turned away. It's not, not really the same as, as being deported. Uh, but Thomas Homan understands this, and that's why he, uh, he said, and that's also why this idea that they're even asylum seekers is false. And there are real asylum seekers from all over the world, and what's going on here is the American people are losing faith in the idea of our asylum system, period, because we are being taken for a ride. We are being scammed. I asked a, a Border Patrol chief today on Rising, I said, hey, you know, are these people being, I didn't say it like that, hey, Border Patrol chief, but I, I did say it somewhat forcefully. I said, are these people being coached on what to say so that they can immediately get in, get into the asylum process and they essentially know how to get around the safeguards to prevent this from being abused. He said, absolutely. Widespread systematic coaching is going on at the border. So you have violence at the border. You have thousands of people gathered at the border. They're all trying to overrun the country. The president has said that he's willing to shut down the whole border. And Congress has done nothing about any of this. They won't even address the issue of who really qualifies for asylum. They're, they're not making any moves on that whatsoever. By the way, Thomas Homan will, though, thankfully, play clip two. I certainly feel bad for the plight of these people, but they're not asylum. They're not true asylum seekers. They don't qualify under existing law to claim asylum because they want to come here. You've seen them, they're carrying signs. I want a job. That doesn't qualify for asylum, so I certainly understand the plight of these people. I can certainly understand them want to be a part of this country, but there's a legal way to do it. A small minority is actually family members, women and children. Most of them are, are adult males. But the media, some of the media out there are getting shots of the women and children to try to pull the heartstrings of America. And, you know, and, and even the caravan itself, the people that are, are, are coordinating this whole event, they'll put the women and children up front to make it seem like this is 5,000 women and children when it's not. They're, they're playing the game. Some of the media outlets are playing the game. This is, this is a vast majority of, of, of males seeking employment in the United States, not women and children. <laughs> the people who just want to be in America for a whole bunch of reasons, mostly because we're a wealthy country where people are generally safe, where the rule of law is respected. Unlike in Mexico, for example, where the rule of law is not respected. Uh, but they, they want to come here because it's a great country. They've been offered refugee status in Mexico, by the way. They, they won't take it. This isn't about, oh, I'm fleeing for my life to safety. And, you know, there were some just really... Really stupid stuff that was being said over the weekend about all of this. Um, and and it's, it's frustrating because it seems like there's no accountability at all, especially in the media, for people who say incredibly dumb things about asylum seekers. They don't know the laws. They don't know the reality of what's happening here. And, and they certainly don't ever try to put into context, hey, hold on a second. Are these individuals who are coming in this huge mass in the United States, are they grateful to America or do they think this is owed to them because I think that if you were to go around and talk to the ones who have been coached by these international NGOs who's funding those by the way if you went around and asked them it would be very clear that they have probably I'm surmising here but they've probably been told that America owes you this 
that those Yankee imperialists in, uh, you know, in, in the United States are the ones who are responsible for the plight uh, of people in Central America. They're, they're the reason that Mexico has the cartel violence and the overall corruption, lack of rule of law that it does. And so with that mentality, they don't come here thinking that they should feel grateful. They come here because it's owed to them. And once you start to understand that, once you start to see that these are people who believe that they have an entitlement to being in America and that liberals feed this sense of entitlement for their own purposes, now you see this is a combustible situation of the long term for us. I mean, this is going to really change the nature of the American polity unless we get a hold of this right now. I spent a lot of time on trains and in public places over the holidays. You know what that means, folks? Public Wi-Fi. Now, you may think that's a great convenience. I certainly do. But it also means that the bad guys, hackers and cyber thieves of all kinds, have a way of getting into your stuff. And you know how much sensitive information you have on your laptop, your tablet, your smartphone. But you know what? I don't worry when I'm using public Wi-Fi or when I'm using the Internet in general because I have ExpressVPN. VPN is a virtual private network. What that means is that you are anonymized when you're doing internet browsing and your data is encrypted. Your IP address is hidden. All right, take back your online privacy today. Found out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Again, visit expressvpn.com dot com slash buck to learn more in what must be the shock of the century to no one with a a functioning brain we have uh the the tally of clinton foundation donations and sure enough turns out that there are really only a, only two options here either the clintons were running the biggest unregulated pay-to-play pocket lining scheme slash political action committee in history under the guise of it being a charity or the clinton foundation managed to find huge dollar donors all around the world who didn't realize that they were giving money to a charity they thought they were doing something else they must have been confused uh, we have this this new information here, the tax filings, which were just made public. I've, I know I've mentioned this. I think I mentioned it last week. They show the Clinton Foundation. We've got the specific numbers now pulled in sixty two point nine million dollars in 2016, but only twenty six point six million the following year, representing a nearly fifty eight percent drop. Tax documents for 2018 are not yet available. Uh, I. I I think that this look they should investigate this. They should investigate this. And also, by the way, um, they had already wound down the Clinton Global Initiative. So they already have shut down some of the because they knew that there was going to be no interest in that, right? The Clinton Global Initiative was just let's get a lot of big dollar foreign donors together to give us money. And that money is given with the idea that there will be a strong relationship because there's no better way to make friends with Hillary and Bill than money. I love money. I love money almost as much as I love all the ladies. 
Uh, and that was the plan all along, is that people would give this money and that they would then have access later on. Um, but sure enough, you know, this really sticks with me because I remember during the election being at CNN and having all of these smarmy, snide Democrat analysts and and far left pundits who were just so in the tank for the Clintons in, in a way that was gross. And I would say to them on and off camera, you really think the Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, all the different iterations of this Clinton charity, you think this is really about charity? You know, are, are, are you an idiot or are you just a liar? Because it's obviously not just about charity. I mean, that that was that was clear in many different ways. One of them is that the the Clintons were able to become incredibly wealthy, leveraging this charity to that end. You could say, oh, Buck, but the speaking fees weren't tied in, but it's all tied in. The, the whole thing, it's all tied in. The husband's getting speeches, giving speeches for huge dollars while she's secretary of state. And, you know, Papadopoulos is going to prison. Uh, Manafort is going to prison. Gates maybe is going to go to prison. Flynn maybe is going to go to prison. That guy, Alexander Vanderswan, uh, got, you know, a little time in prison. And the Clintons haven't even been charged with anything. I, I just, how is that supposed to be possible for our, our federal government without anybody thinking that this thing is just, it's just a sham, right? It's just, at some point, it's a joke. And the Clintons have done more to shake the public's faith, at least the public that pays attention and has some principles, in the entire process of our justice system, uh, of the, the, the fairness of our government as it treats people who come under scrutiny. They've done more than anybody else to just, not just shake faith in that, but eradicate it. Eradicate it. They are a complete and utter disgrace. And, and it's also why when people try to lecture me on and I'm sure this happens to you all the time as well. People try to lecture on how the Clintons are just so, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're so much better than the Trumps, uh, than, than Trump is. It would have been so much more normal. If Hillary had won the election, we would have had, a, we would have had somebody who was a law-breaking, scheming, self-dealing, self-involved uh, stooge of the corporate, well, corporate left and right, just the highest bidder. And you can say, oh, Buck, but look at Trump and all of his different foibles and idiosyncrasies, the places where he falls down on the job a little bit or where he is. And I say, OK, he's not perfect, but he's a heck of a lot better than Hillary. And when they try to throw all this personal stuff and the tax returns at me, I say, you know, you can't be the people that on the one hand are saying that Hillary Clinton is just fine. She was a great, a great choice for president. Uh, and on the other say, oh, look at Trump. He's his personal life is 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 too tumultuous he can't be president or you know his his business dealings in the past were too shady so i mean the clinton foundation was uh in large, i'm not saying entirely right any good any good mob boss which is how you should think of the clintons any good mob boss any good drug cartel does a lot of legal and legitimate business too you need the legal you need the legitimate to cover up for the ill-gotten proceeds you don't run an entirely illicit business. I'm not saying the Clinton Foundation didn't do any charitable work. Sure, it sloshed around some money that went to other charities that probably actually did charity. But a lot of Clinton Foundation money went to the foundation, meaning went to pay the salaries of people who work at the foundation, 
$50 million. I mean, I remember this stat. $50 million spent on private jet travel, uh, private jet travel by the Clintons. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to go to fly. You know, you can't. It's for charity. You can't fly coach. What? No, really? Unacceptable, I guess, huh? Hillary's like, my back hurts. I know, Hillary. If I were you, my back would hurt, too. It's it's tough. Actually, my back does hurt sometimes, but uh, nonetheless. So the Clinton Foundation data, I, I just it just strikes me as a necessary uh, a necessary backdrop to our conversations about Trump and how they're going to do all this oversight. And I, think about think about where we are with Trump and the special counsel vis-a-vis where we are with Hillary at this point, given all the stuff that she did. There was no special counsel. It was just trusted that Barack Obama's attorney general was going to do the right thing. Loretta Lynch with the Hillary email case that that James Comey was going to do the right things. I mean, serious people can't believe this. Serious people can't think that this is. For real. And here we are. And here we are. By the way, I also speaking of, of the double standard here, you will hear sometimes that support for Trump, that the left will say this, the libs will say this, they'll say support for Trump is is cult-like. And I would say, for one, Trump is such a, a charismatic and an incredibly entertaining political figure that it does not surprise me, nor should it surprise anyone in the least, that there are aspects of his support that do come close to being something of a cult of personality i mean the guy's a phenomenon the guy's a phenomenon that's uh, that much is for sure i mean just over the weekend i heard from uh from a couple of boomers who said they were excited to go to jet stadium so they could hear Mick Jagger play i'm like is, isn't Mick Jagger like 130 now i mean we're, we're still we still get excited about hearing Mick Jagger play but you know the guy's gotta yeah you can boo me that's right it's true the guy's too old it's getting weird now he's dancing around on stage looks like some kind of a science experiment up there and super tight black jeans or black leather pants, whatever it is. And people, though, there's a cult of personality around Mick Jagger, just like there is around a lot of politicians. But no cult that exists, large or small, around Trump has really got anything on the insanity of the leftists who really believe that Beto O'Rourke, who is... Robert O'Rourke. I mean, he's an Irish guy. I mean, the fact that we have to call him Beto is is in and of itself, I think, quite quite strange. Because he wasn't. I don't believe he was Beto always as a kid, right? I mean, that's. You know, my name is Buck, but it's because it's short for Buckman, which is my middle name, uh, which I'm sure many of you already know that. But and my name is weird, so I tend not to make fun of other people's names. I'm not making fun of his name. I'm just. It just seems so transparently political to have that name be a guy who's running in Texas. But this piece in Newsweek. It says Beto O'Rourke slams Trump administration handling of migrant caravan. Let's do the right thing. And he goes into this whole thing about, you know, we've got to do the right thing. And you hear a lot of, oh, we've got to help these people. They're leaving countries. They got they're fleeing for their lives. Quote, it should tell us something about our country that we only respond to this desperate need once she is at our border. Uh, so far in this administration, that response has included taking kids from their parents, locking them up in cages and now tear gassing them at the border. You could read through this whole Newsweek piece, this whole interview. And, oh, Mike says he was called Beto as a kid. All right. All right. Fine. I, I, stand, I stand corrected. I, I, go for, I go for the facts, go for the truth here. 
Yeah, they said it was a uh, it was a family name. They always called him it, and uh, they, it was initially used to distinguish him from his uh, grandfather, which was his namesake. And I'd heard All from right. a few people before that they'd always called him that because I All did right. look it up okay. like a while back. All right, Mike, you got to keep got to keep the man honest over here. Don't don't want to get big from my britches. But yeah, okay, fair enough. So he's but the point here is that he goes through this whole interview, and he is supposed to be telling about uh, talking about dealing with the caravan, the migrant caravan, the right way. And he never describes what the right way is. He just does what libs do around immigration all the time. Whine a lot. Talk about how much you care about people. Talk about how much, you know, you want to save people and how mean and racist Republicans are. But you'll notice that doesn't solve the problem. And this is where we really need to focus our attention. The Democrats do not have a way to solve this problem other than let them in. Let them all in. The more illegals, the better. That's really what Democrats want. They just won't say it. I don't want to spoil the surprise, folks, but if you are getting a gift from me this Christmas, it's very likely you're getting coffee from my absolute number one favorite coffee company out there, Black Rifle Coffee. Oh, what did I do this morning getting back into the rhythm of waking up at 5 a.m. and working at the Hill? That's right. I drank some delicious Black Rifle coffee. It is the best that you can get anywhere, and it's also a company that is owned and operated by veterans, and they're all about supporting America and veteran causes. All right, Black Rifle coffee is simply delicious. I drink it three times a day if I really need to push through, and I enjoy every minute of it. All right, you need to check it out for yourself. Black Rifle's Coffee Club makes things easy. You pick up the uh, blend you want online, and they'll ship it right to your door. The best tasting, most energizing coffee you can get, and they help veteran and first responder causes. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck to receive 15% off your order. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. She made a statement, which I know that she feels very badly about it, and it was just sort of said in jest, as she said, Cindy Hyde-Smith is a tremendous woman who truly loves the people of Mississippi in our country. And I think and I think she's going to win. Very big. We have a Senate contest in the state of Mississippi. I know a lot of you listening are Mississippians, so shields high to all of you. Big, uh, big high five to our Mississippi team, Buck. Uh, but we got a Senate race there that's going to be decided here in the next 24 hours or so. And this is the last two years of the Senate term uh, begun by uh, Thad Cochran. All right. So that's that's what you have in the balance here as voters are going to look at this. And now it's not a full term, but it'll mean that Republicans will either have 52 or 53 seats come the uh, the January uh, the January inauguration period or, you know, when, when people all of a sudden get to actually see what the new team is like. Now, will it really matter all that much, whether it's 53 or 53? I think the answer is yes, it could. As we saw with the whole Kavanaugh battle, every single Senate vote really can matter a whole heck of a lot, especially when there's not going to be any ma- major legislation for the next couple of years. What there could be, though, and what I hope there will be, is a well-oiled conservative constitutionalist judicial nomination machinery in place one that will just give us a judiciary uh, for decades to come that will respect the constitution individual rights and the rule of law and not just make it up as they go along some of those 
tight up or down votes, 53 might make the difference, right? Having 53 Republicans instead of 52. And certainly if we have an opening in the Supreme Court, let's just say theoretically, oh, I don't know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, had to step down for health reasons. And it is likely that Amy Coney Barrett would be the next nominee that Trump puts forward. That will be, and, and it's hard to imagine, g- given how disgusting they were the last time around with Kavanaugh, hard to imagine how it could be worse, but they will find a way to make it worse. They will find a way to be more disgraceful, more dishonest, more hateful in the whole Kavanaugh nomination process, or rather in the nomination process that comes after Kavanaugh uh, for a conservative constitutionalist to the court. It, I can't even conjure up what that would be like. And and they can't do what the obvious thing would be, which is just to bring once again Clarence Thomas, Kavanaugh. We know what their favorite play is, right? They tried it with Trump, too. Oh, he's a, he's a sexual abuser. Get, get him on sex stuff somehow, either just being a pervert or being a, being a, an abuser of women or being a rapist or be, something sexual, something about the exploitation of women, that's the left's go-to to to, uh, knock a person down or to ruin them. And that will be hard, although I I wouldn't say entirely impossible. That would be hard for them to do effectively if there's a woman Supreme Court nominee that President Trump uh, goes forward with. So then that leaves open the other avenue, which I think is where they'll go. Because what are the left's two most useful arguments you're a racist you're a sexist that's right they'll go with whoever that nominee is is a racist and that's where we tie into this senate seat here because what trump was talking about was that this uh this candidate that is uh, cindy uh cindy hyde smith who's running against democrat mike espy she said something that was uh, highly unwise under the circumstances, but I don't believe anyone thinks was really intended to be uh, racist. But that's really now the whole explanation for why people should vote for her opponent. They're just saying, oh, she's, she's racist. And, you know, there, there was a photo of her that I saw that was making the rounds on social media among the lefties where she they're saying she's in Confederate garb. You know, she's got like a Confederate hat and holding a, uh, an old uh, rifle. And turns out she was in a museum. So she was holding up a museum piece in a museum. And, and I know people could say, oh, but what about holding up the what about holding up like a Nazi insignia? Well, if you held up a, a, a Mauser from the Second World War, I would say, you know, you're holding up a museum piece. There are some limits, I guess, that come to mind here for what you could do even in a museum. But she wasn't in any overt way trying to be uh, racist, either in that museum or with her statement. The statement was, and I'm paraphrasing something along the lines of she was so uh, favorable toward toward somebody that uh, Hyde Smith, this is that she said she would uh, show up to a, a public uh, a public hanging if in the front row if he were if he were there and people say okay well mississippi obviously has among the ugliest if not the ugliest history of lynchings and uh, uh racist violence in the country and so people point to that and they say how could she be so 
so crass, so you know, so, so racist. Now, I, again, I don't think that she was trying to be racist. I, I really wish that we could all be honest in the assessments here of, of what somebody's intent was and what they say, because that really matters. And it, it, it certainly matters in a case like this, where there's a lot of incentive for people to lie about what her intent was. Uh, but it also just gets so tiring. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of hearing about how you can't vote for this Republican or you can't do this thing that the Republicans want you to do. You can't secure the border. You can't deport anyone because it's racist. It's always just about one of the isms on the left. I, I, I can't seem to get very few libs at all these days to engage in good faith on issues that matter on policy issues that the outcome will actually affect people's lives. No, it's always a, a return to, you're a racist, you're a sexist. And that's not an argument. And I'm, I'm just so tired of hearing it. I think it's so intellectually lazy and so dishonest. But it's the Democrats' favorite tactic, and they're using it in Mississippi right now. Oh, the libs were all upset this weekend because of the climate change situation. I, I have some important thoughts on this one for you. I think some context that you won't hear anybody else. But but let me just first say, I, I've realized something about the whole climate change issue. Uh, and that is that no matter what happens now, no matter how often the climate change catastrophists are wrong, no matter how much data we can compile, real hard scientific data to show that they just, they don't know what they're, they don't know what they're, talking about, or, or at least they're very wrong when it comes to the issue of climate change, they're never going to change their minds. They're absolutely never going to change their minds because I don't think that their left-wing brains could handle the reality, the, the, the psychological duress that they would feel from finally admitting and accepting that they had been so thoroughly duped, duped for so long. So there's a report by the federal government that came out over the weekend warning of devastating effects from climate change. That's what they said. And Trump said quite uh, in quite straightforward Trump fashion. He said, you know, yeah, whatever. He said, uh, I don't believe it. Not not that big a deal. He said, quote, you're going to have China and Japan and all of these other Asian countries. Uh, you know, the report addresses our country. He says, right now, we're the cleanest we've ever been, and that's very important to me. But if we're clean, every other place on Earth is dirty. That's no good. And then you get Hillary Clinton. Oh, that's right. Hillary, hello. Hello. What happened? She missed you. That's what happened. She's running again, folks. You ready for it? Are you ready for it? Doom, doom, doom. That's from uh, Taylor Swift. So Hillary Clinton tweeted out of the week and the Trump administration tried to bury a federally mandated climate change study by releasing it the Friday after Thanksgiving. Here's what I didn't want you to hear. And she shared this stuff. The fourth national climate assessment outlines the potential impacts of climate change across every sector of American society. Folks, without getting into too many of the details here, um, this is these people are crazy. This is just crazy. This is crazy. I'm not on the payroll of some oil company. I, I don't I don't get money from a Koch Brothers Foundation that tells me that I need to say this. It's just normal people don't worry about this. 
And they say all these things like, oh, the science is with us, the science this, the science that. A few things about science and prediction. First of all, economics, which I think most people think of as being much more based in the numbers and therefore much more likely to be uh, be accurate in its prognostications. Turns out that when, when you look at forecasting, when you look at forecasting over a long period of time by mainstream economists, what you find, according to this Bloomberg piece right over the weekend, but you've already probably known this, right, is that economists very rarely, very, very rarely pick up on a recession. Um, so they, they do not have a good track record for calling a, a recession stretching back for many, many decades. It, it is, in fact, an outlier for people to think that they are good at this. So if economists can't predict a recession, how do you think that climatologists are going to do at predicting the weather 50 years from now? I think the answer is quite obviously very, very poorly. But I'm reminded of this other piece, and they didn't write this as, well, they wrote this in order to make a different point, but the information was still very interesting uh, about palm oil. And you may be saying, Buck, who the heck cares about palm oil? Well, turns out the U.S. government does, because as a result of a policy stretching back for about a decade, we have been encouraging palm oil to be grown for biofuels. The whole idea behind this, the whole reason for this is that these biofuels are supposed to be carbon neutral. Uh, There's supposed to be less CO2 that goes in the air from biofuels than, say, traditional gasoline. Times piece was palm oil was supposed to help save the planet. Instead, it unleashed a catastrophe. And this is a very long article, and, and it's. It's really just all about how, you know, the environment is under so much threat. And, of course, the Bush administration was pushing biofuels because they were told by the, quote, experts in the environment that this would be a good idea. And so it's, it's safe to dump all over the Bush administration. So that's why they write this piece. And the very short version of, of what is a really long and you know, it's an overly wordy expose of this whole palm oil thing is that they were completely wrong about what palm oil really was going to do and and what it would mean if you believe that climate change is happening because of CO2, which I I really don't. Uh, The U.S. mandated the use of this vegetable oil and biofuels, and that has resulted in major changes in the market. Now, we don't have that much land to plant for biofuels here, so what happened? Well, Indonesia decided that they would be our supplier for a lot of this, as well as supplier for a lot of other industrialized Western countries. So they just did a massive replanting, clearing of forest, rainforest, and plant all this palm oil in order to to, to meet the, the new demand. And the demand was established by governments who were saying, hey, you got to, to save the planet, you got to use biofuels. And palm oil was biofuel. So this this whole uh, this this whole biofuel craze creates its own market incentives, and then people decide that they're going to start capitalizing on that, and they're acting rationally, and that's when you have 
finally the effects start to kick in. And what you see is that they've cleared out all these forests. And it turns out, make a long story short, the environmentalist experts who in 2008, folks, 10 years ago, thought biofuels were going to, and I'm not exaggerating, save the planet, now are telling us that biofuels are destroying the planet. That's right. Biofuels, because they involve the destruction of so much rainforest, and in that destruction of those trees, there's actually an additional CO2 released into the air, into the atmosphere. And, and then you also don't have the life cycle of the tree continuing on when it takes in CO2 and spits out oxygen. All right, that once you look at it that way, this is much, much worse for the environment than, than anybody thought. Here, here's here's a, an example of it from this from this piece. The tropical rainforests of Indonesia and in particular the petland regions, uh, or rather peatland regions of Borneo, have large amounts of carbon trapped within their trees and soil. Slashing and burning the existing forest to make way for oil palm cultivation had a perverse effect. It released more carbon. A lot more carbon. NASA researchers say the accelerated destruction of Borneo's forest contributed to, get ready for this team, the largest single-year global increase in carbon emissions in two millenniums, an explosion that has transformed Indonesia into the world's fourth largest source of such emissions. Instead of creating a clever technocratic fix to reduce Americans' carbon footprint, lawmakers had lit the fuse on a powerful carbon bomb as forests were cleared and burned, produced more carbon than the entire continent of Europe. Now, I don't think that this CO2 thing is a problem I, for a whole bunch of reasons that we could talk about another time. But if I were to believe that this CO2 thing is such the problem that the climate change alarmists do, this is a catastrophe. And it just goes to show you that the path to climate change hell is paved with environmentalist intention. Uh, that this was, a, this was a policy that was pushed by people that were very involved in trying to uh, lower CO2 emissions, the, the smart people, the scientists. You could say the science was settled on this one 10 years ago. Oops. Turns out it's not. The real story should be, or the real takeaway from this story, that there needs to be humility among the climate change set for once again being wrong about a massive, massive prediction and in this case, not only were they not helping the problem that they say threatens the entire planet, they managed to, by their own admission, make it much, much worse. Perhaps some humility would be helpful now. Impeding Ukraine's lawful transit through the Kerch Strait is a violation under international law. It is an arrogant act that the international community must condemn and will never accept. In May, the United States condemned Russia's construction and opening of the Kerch Strait Bridge between Russia and occupied Crimea. In August, the United States condemned Russia's harassment of international shipping in the Sea of Azov and the Kerch Strait. The United States will continue to stand with the people of Ukraine against the Russian aggression. It is our expectation 
that our European partners will lead this effort through the Normandy 4 format, which we support. We call on Russia to respect its international obligations and not obstruct or harass Ukraine's transit in the Kerch Strait and to de-escalate the tensions it has created. As President Trump said many times, the United States would welcome a normal relationship with Russia. But outlaw actions like this one continue to make that impossible. There's a war going on in Ukraine still. And this is, if nothing else, a reminder of that. The tensions between Russia and Ukraine remain very high. And this incident that Nikki Haley's talking about there was uh, one of these tension ratcheting moments that could get much, much worse. So the Russians seized three Ukrainian vessels, uh, including two of them that are held in the port of Kerch, uh, Crimea, on uh, on Monday. So that's that's what's gotten everybody focused on this issue. I would just say the following. Look, the, the left is going to immediately, and I'm hoping to have a friend who's on the front lines of this conflict join later in the week. We'll see if I can get him on. But the left just uses this. I mean, every foreign policy discussion, as far as libs are concerned, is just another cheap, easy opportunity to attack Trump. It doesn't matter if Trump had anything to do with it. It doesn't matter if it was Trump's fault or he even has a policy in place that they can point to taking any particular action. They just want to say Trump bad when it comes to foreign policy. Everything else to them is effectively uh a secondary concern at best. And here you can already tell that there's going to be the usual, oh, Trump is so favorable to Russia. Oh, Trump is in Putin's pocket. All the stuff that they say about everything. Just like they say that Trump is in the Saudis' pocket or or that Trump has a, a love affair with Kim Jong-un, all the, all the things that you hear constantly. Except doesn't have a love affair with Iran. We can all, we can all at least agree on that, right? Does not have a love affair with Iran. But the, re- the reality here is that they're just going to use this as an opportunity to attack Trump for being soft on Russia, no matter what he does. Uh, short of all-out war with Ukraine, Trump is going to be called soft on Russia, soft on responding to this aggression. And you know, keep in mind that it's been now five years that this conflict in eastern Ukraine, the Donbass uh, region, you know, these, these separatist areas of Ukraine, it's been five years that they've this has been going on. And also, since Russia has seized through this illegal referendum, the peninsula of Crimea. Uh, so they've already taken a chunk of Ukraine territory, Ukraine's territory for themselves. And no one is realistically thinking that they're going to get that back anytime soon, probably ever. So it's not like the Russians have suffered all these severe consequences for it. Uh, but but then I so we, we've got on the one end, they're just going to use this to bash Trump, and we should all just be prepared for that. It, it just goes into the, the more noise category. There's just more noise about this, and that's what they're going to be saying. But beyond that, I think that we can start to have a, a, a renewed discussion in this country about, well, how much of a foreign policy interest is this really? How much do we really care Now, you could say that we need to have strong rhetoric and stand with allies. And okay, fine. I'm all for speaking in favor of human rights, democracy, and all that good stuff in 
the diplomatic corridors of the world. But to stop folks like the Russians, you need to actually be willing to punch the bully in the nose. It's not enough to just speak in the flowery prose of, you know, U.N., bureaucrat warriors, right? It, it, you actually have to be somebody who's willing to say, we will make you suffer consequences for this. And I don't know, beyond the sanctions we've already put in place, maybe we'll put more sanctions in place, but it hasn't budged Russian policy from what anyone can tell at all. I don't know what they think is really a realistic stance from the Trump administration. I don't want any of our guys or gals uh, going over and getting involved in some kind of a military uh, military dispute, uh, some kind of a confrontation between Ukraine and Russia. It, it's just frankly not always our problem. And, and that's what I think we need to reiterate here. And, and, and I come from a earlier on in life, a kind of Republican political philosophy that was very interventionist in mindset, right? Oh, we've got to, because of our strategic, and it was... Uh, came from the threat from radical Islam. It didn't just come out of nowhere. But the idea was we need to go into all these places and and not just get the bad guys, but fix these places. And we've had uh, less than stellar results as a result of that. We just saw an army ranger was killed in Afghanistan over the weekend. Uh, we are still taking casualties in Afghanistan. And we're no closer to winning the war there now than we were 10 years ago or now almost 10 years before that. We are no closer. So what are we doing there? No one really wants to answer the question. What are our limits in trying to support our Ukrainian allies when it comes to Russian aggression? I think the limits are we'll take diplomatic action, we'll take economic action, but none of that can be considered a precursor to military action of any kind. Uh, it's one thing to give the Ukrainians, the ability to defend themselves, as the administration has with sniper rifles and night vision goggles. But it's an entirely different thing for us to put any of our people in harm's way. So I, we're not there yet, but I just want to note that the Trump administration should refuse to allow libs to push us into positions where we, let, we make everything around the world our problem. It's not all our problem. It is not, in fact, all our problem. Going to be heading into a new year here soon. You know what that means? Going to be more hiring. Perhaps some of you are going to be either looking to get new tenants for your property or staffing up, right? And that means you've got new people in the mix. That also means you got to have some background checks done. The one place you should go to, whoever you are listening to this, no matter how big or small your company is across the country, you want Global Verification Network for all your background investigation and vetting needs. I know the CEO, I know how he goes about his business, okay? Global Verification Network is the only dual certified and veteran owned company in this space, and they are all about doing their work here stateside, okay? Their investigators do not send this overseas. They don't outsource the work. If you have a question about somebody's background or you need to make sure this just gets done fast, efficiently, and properly, you want MyGVN. That's right, go to MyGVN.com, MyGVN.com, or call 877 877- Six nine five one one seven nine Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. So, just how biased are social media platforms these days? You know, I talk about a team. I tell you that you can't trust Facebook, you can't trust Instagram, Twitter, any of these things. And the left wing media, as you know, will say, "Oh, conservatives are just just creating boogeymen." It's not true. There's nothing that really happens. 
Oh, you mean shadow banning? No, that's a real thing. In fact, just banning people for their speech is a very real thing. We are joined now by our friend, Mr. Jesse Kelly. You are familiar with Jesse, of course, from not only his time on this show, but also as host of the Jesse Kelly Show on 950 KPRC down in Houston. And I would tell you to follow him on Twitter, but unfortunately, Twitter has banned Mr. Kelly. We're going to ask him why. He's the latest conservative fall victim here. Jesse, what's going on? Oh, just over here living my life and loving it, Buck. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Well, you know, it's it's always nice to start out the day being six foot eleven. So that you've got that going for you, which is nice. But you know, let's you've blown let, that so far out of proportion. It's six eight, six eleven in the cowboy boot. There you go. Well, that's what I thought. So here here's the thing. I, on the one hand, I feel like you no longer have to entertain the masses via Twitter and like the rest of us act like a gerbil hitting the pedal to get a snack by tweeting every thirty seconds, right? That's so that's nice. But on the other hand, I mean, Jesse, you had a whole big following on Twitter. You're well-known to certainly conservatives and a lot of easily triggered libs. And they just did what? I mean, what happened to your Twitter account? They wiped it out. And they wiped it out, Buck, with no explanation. None. Now, I'm aware of Twitter's rules, okay? And I don't cuss. I don't harass at people. I don't promote violence on Twitter. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't violate Twitter's rules. And all of a sudden, I was—I did a Fox News hit yesterday where I was ragging pretty hard on Nancy Pelosi. And I don't know if that was it, but I came home, I put up those videos on Twitter, and then I set it down. I went outside, I was putting up Christmas lights with my wife, which was horribly, just horrible. Anyway, but, and then all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up with text messages, people telling me I've been suspended. And I logged in. And that wasn't a suspension. It was a complete banishment. They wiped out the account, and I didn't hear a single word about it till that night. Twitter sent me an email, and all it said was, you have been permanently banned for repeated violations of Twitter's rules. You cannot appeal for this. And that was it. Only I've never been received a notice for any violation of any rules, and I don't violate their rules. So here's the thing. I keep getting people, Jesse, because I'm obviously running with the free Jesse Kelly hashtag now on my own Twitter account. And we're making a lot of noise and we are, we are getting the libs very uh, agitated here because this is a, this, yours is yet another case and, and now becoming increasingly a very well-known one of the media bias that we see at work with some of these big social media platforms is left-wing bias. People will say to me, and this is what I get. And some of them are, are smug former conservatives that somehow celebrate when our own side has these kinds of troubles. They're saying, Oh, well, it, this must not be what happened. They must have told him more than he's telling us. I, you know, have you reached out to, like, uh, the Twitter? I don't even know. Is there an 800 number? I mean, is there anything else you can tell us about this? Anything else that Twitter has said other than just that kind of form email you received? That's the only email I received. And not only that, there is no 800 number, and there's no way to contact Twitter unless you have a Twitter account. Therefore, my account has been wiped out, and I can't even log into Twitter to contact Twitter. The only thing that I have been able to do is somebody, one of my friends, sent me a private email for the legal department of Twitter, and I sent them an email, and obviously I haven't heard back. But no, they just flat out dropped the hammer on me, 
And, look, it's not a big deal. I have a great life, man. I have a great radio show. I'm on TV all the time, on radio all the time. I have great wife, kids. Life is good. I mean, Twitter needs me more than I need Twitter. It's their reputation that sucks. Mine's just fine. Yeah, I have to say, this, this from a, uh, from a, a platform perspective, it's just, it's just bad business. But what it also shows, I think, Jesse, is something that I've been warning my audience about for a long time, which is that it is hard for normal human beings, like normal Americans, to understand the full scope of the left-wing progressive insanity and the platforms to engage in what is effectively anti-conservative speech policing. You know, you know, well, Jack Dorsey wants thing. to be in good standing with the fancy folks in and around the Bay Area and in, and major liberal strongholds across the country. Mm -hmm. Here's a great way for people to understand it. I understand, especially because there's a generational gap, some people do not understand what's happening. Well, social media, think about it like the telephone. It is that today. It is the way people coordinate. It is business networking. It's the way people communicate with each other. So what if there was a gigantic group of people and they decided the sky was green and then they took over all the telephones in America and anybody who said anything other than the sky was green got banished from using the telephone? That's what's happening. These social media companies, that's 2.5 billion people between Facebook and Twitter, billion with a B, and they're all run by leftists, almost entirely run by leftists. And not only that, not only are they run by leftists, these are not leftists who are sitting on their hands. These are people who are banishing people from speaking on their platform if they say things like, a man born a man will always be a man. That's a basic scientific concept. That will get you axed. That's In fact, I saw right before you got banned, Twitter permanently banned a, a, a left-wing feminist for essentially writing that men are not women. This is not an exaggeration. Saying that men are not women can get you banned from Twitter now. In fact, there's, uh, there, there's even some more specifics about this. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with, with dead naming or misgendering? So dead naming is when you... And see, maybe this is now, you know, this is perhaps this is something that's that's happened and part of why people have gone off and gone after Jesse Kelly and others on Twitter. It's when you use the former name of a transgender person that corresponds with their biological sex, i.e. Bradley Manning instead of Chelsea Manning. They call that dead naming and misgendering is obviously referring to somebody who's a he is a she or she is a he or the is a they or whatever. And Jesse, that now officially on Twitter can get you suspended and or banned you can and that and, and I, I hope people just heard what you just said calling a man a man calling a woman a woman can get you removed and so what what happens is then you'll get a lot of people that say well it's just twitter understand that that is the future social media is the future facebook and twitter are the future it is what email used to be it is what the telephone used to be it is everything it is humongous and if we're just going to simply step back that allow the left to own all of these and eliminate the, the voices on the right, that is modern-day book burning. That's what I that also got to tell you, and I know this is just anecdotal, but for a while I've just been aware of, especially on Twitter, uh, it's been very clear to me that you know, there, you'll know you see like uh, left-wing author of a book nobody's ever heard of and comedian who sucks, and that person will have like 300,000 followers and they're based in Brooklyn or San Francisco or whatever. And I, I'm just, I'm sorry, but there's just, there's shenanigans. There's just shenanigans going on. There's just no way. 
There are. I found out yesterday. Now, this was all given to me secondhand because, of course, I've been banished. But I found out that I was actually trending like number three in the country. My name was on Twitter, and there had been like 31,000 tweets about it, something absurd. And then one of the same buddy who sent me that logged in an hour later, and I, my name had been removed. And when he looked it up, there were 187 tweets. So, yes, they're not. It's, it's just supposed to be an open platform where people can speak and speak their minds. And not promote violence, but speak their minds and say what they want. Yes, there are going to be a million people who disagree with me and a million people who disagree with you, but speak what you want. But that's not what it is. It is a left-wing publisher. It's no different than the New York Times or Think Progress. Yeah, well, i got to say, that's, that's also going to have some legal ramifications because, you know, they like to play this game of they're a platform, not a publisher, so that they're not liable for stuff that is posted on their site, right? A, a whole range of stuff that gets posted on, on Facebook. They say, but but then they also kind of will say, well, no, we are a publisher when it suits their needs. When they want to determine, you know, terms of service that they can make up as they go along, they say, well, we're a publisher. We can do whatever we want. We're a private company. Okay, if you're a private company, guess what? Other to your point but the New York Times, if the New York Times runs a front page story that says that, you know, Jesse Kelly is actually a, a space alien and a convicted felon, um, they can get in trouble for that. They don't just get to say, oh, well, you know, we just said some stuff, man. Facebook gets around all this by saying, oh, well, we're not really a publisher for legal purposes. We're just a platform. Well, if they're going to be a platform, they can't pull crap like kicking my man Jesse Kelly off for no reason. <laughs> or, You're exactly right, and that's why they do what they do. They wanted to be platforms, and they should be platforms. It should be open, free speech platforms, and that's fine. And, yes, then they're not liable for anything. People post things on there, that's fine. But when you decide you're going to start censoring out people on the right, and my banishment is really what seems to have brought this home for people on the right, that's what they're doing. I wasn't, I, I'm not Alex Jones, and I warned everybody when they killed Alex Jones back, or when they banished Alex Jones back in August, I wrote an article about it, and I told you, don't celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Alex Jones is a whack job, but they came for him first for a reason, because they wanted to see if they could get away with it, and they did yeah, you, get away with it. And I you're definitely come for mainstream people next. You're definitely not Alex Jones because there aren't quite as many shirtless photos of you on the internet, Jesse. So there's that. <laughs> well, I apologize to the ladies about that. Yeah, it's something you might. Now you have more time on your hands because you don't have a Twitter account. Maybe you can make up for all that. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Kelly's going to be all over Fox News. You'll see him on uh, on Rising tomorrow. And uh, Jesse, let us know how this turns out. I have a feeling you're going to get that account back one way or another. So uh, come back and update us. All right. I'll see you soon, my brother. All right, my man. Talk soon. Team, we'll be right back. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher since 1917. You can order with complete confidence. I've got a freezer full of Omaha Steaks right now, my friends. And right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited-time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter code BUCK into the search bar, you'll get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package, originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now and you'll get four hand-cut aged tenders top sirloin steaks, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus get four more burgers free. Omaha Steaks is a fifth-generation family-owned company with over 100 years of experience delivering perfectly aged, hand-cut beef by master butchers in Omaha. Again, this limited-time package for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, 
Type Buck, that's B-U-C-K in the search bar, and add the family gift package to your card. Don't wait. Offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type in Buck in the search bar. Speaking of misgendering and dead naming, there was a really troubling article in the uh, New York Times over the weekend. And, and I got to tell you, for those of you who have uh, young ones who may be listening, giving you fair warning that we're, we're going to have to dive into this article and it's not it's not going to be pretty. So maybe this isn't one where, you know, the the 12 and 13, 14 year old members of team buck should be listening. So just a quick uh just a quick note there, quick uh fair warning. Because the title of this piece in the New York Times is quote, "My new vagina won't make me happy and it shouldn't have to." by Andrea Long Chew, and th- I have to read some of this to you, and, and then I'll, I'll tell you why this, this all matters. Quote, next Thursday, I will get a vagina. The procedure will last around six hours, and I'll be in recovery for at least three months. Until the day I die, my body will regard that female body part as a wound. As a result, it will require regular painful attention to maintain This is what I want, but there is no guarantee it will make me happier. In fact, I don't expect it to. That shouldn't disqualify me from getting it. Uh, This is essentially, uh, that's the end of the quote there. This whole piece is more or less a a call to disregard the, the science, or any science for that matter, when it comes to not just transgenderism, which is a psychological condition. And even saying that, people look at you like, no, it's not. No, no, it is. It is a psychological condition. If somebody wants to say that transgender transgenderism is about the very rare biological condition known as being intersex, formerly known as being a hermaphrodite, I'm completely open to that. But that means that 99% of people who are transgender don't qualify as transgender. So if we're going to look at this issue, we have to at least be willing to define what the most basic component of it is, and that is that transgenderism is psychologically determined. Keep in mind, people who are, as the left would say, cisgender and heteronormative and all this other stuff, meaning they're just normal male, female, binary gender folks, they completely lose their minds over this issue. I mean, they will say the nastiest possible things to you if you even bring it up and you just want to get some answers you can ask very honest straightforward questions about this you are either with them or against them when it comes to the insanity of this transgender stuff you're with them or you're against them but in this new york times piece the the case that's made is uh is really uh stark the person is essentially the author uh the author chu is saying that uh, that it, he does not believe that it matters that transgender surgery, that trying to convert male genitalia to female genitalia, for example, it, the, the fact that it is unsuccessful, the fact that people sometimes regret it, the fact that it doesn't make people who get it happy, does not matter. Because this effectively all gets turned into, for the left, a, a function strictly of choice. This is an issue of choice. You can you can 
Tell a doctor that you want this, and that is enough. In a weird way, you could say maybe that this is an extension of the movement of that, that the left says has to do with just being pro-choice, which, as we know, is really pro-abortion. Here they're saying pro-choice means you're allowed to say, destroy my fully medically functioning and fine genitals. Have a doctor do this and replace them with uh, genitals that will not function as well and that will be, as, as was pointed out here, painful not won't won't function i mean you can't be female in terms of your biology so it, it's really a a marring and a permanent scarring of the body that occurs here and you know they go into some of the usual arguments here of course on the right we're just pretending to care about people we don't really care about people we pretend that we care about mental illness we don't but this piece more clearly than anything else that i've read uh, from the perspective of a transgender individual, really makes the case that uh, transgenderism is, in fact, a, a mental health issue, that it is a gender dysphoria is a mental health disorder, and that the left is, in fact, celebrating a mental health disorder and enforcing the dictates of people who are mentally ill. And the real part of this that they're having trouble justifying is why should somebody have uh, gender reassignment surgery. What? Why should anybody engage in this if the outcomes are bad? If, as the author says here, does not make the person happy, why get it? And the answer we're given is because the transgender person wants it. Well, that doesn't stand up to medical scrutiny. If I went into, and there is actually a, a condition that people can have where they want a, a limb to be removed, it is a real thing, it is a mental health uh, condition that people will con- will contract, and and they'll just decide that they they no longer want to have. It's called body integrity disorder. Okay, body integrity disorder. If you went into a doctor and said, "I want you to remove my arm. I don't want it. I don't like it," the doctor would say, "No, that is medically ethically unsound. I will not do that." Do no harm, of course, the beginning of all medicine. And yet, if you go in and say, I think I'm a woman, please remove my male genitals, put me through an incredibly painful procedure that has very doubtful at best outcomes, the doctor also ethically should say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And what the left offers up in response to this medical ethics question is, no, you have to do it because we say so and because we want it. That's their whole defense of transgenderism. It's really their defense of everything these days. We're getting information from Paul Manafort. We're getting information perhaps from Corsi. We're already getting information from Gates, from Cohen, from Phil. That's an awful lot of people tied to the president providing evidence. It is, and I think the report is going to be devastating to the president. And I know that the president's team is already working on a response to the report. It will be made public probably with a response alongside. The president will say, ah, look, it's political. There's their account and there's our account. And then the American public will have to judge the credibility. for you to say it's devastating is really something. It's also total speculation there, Stephanopoulos. Not to be confused with Papadopoulos, who is going to be spending the next uh, two weeks in uh, prison. 
But you'll notice there that that you have the Dersh, who, whenever he says anything that's even vaguely not favorable to Trump personally, just favorable to an issue that affects Trump, they will refer to him as a like a pro-Trump legal scholar. Even though people forget, Dershowitz is a huge Democrat. I mean, he's a lefty. He's a smart lefty, and he at least can be reasonable on issues of the law. He doesn't completely make it up as he goes along on the law, like a lot of other lefties do. But uh, that alone separates him from much of the progressive legal scholarship, so-called scholarship that you see out there these days. Uh, but we don't know what's going to be in the final report. We also don't know when the report is going to be finalized, which just goes to uh, to tell you that I think this thing's going to just stretch on. It's going to go deep into 2019. You know, we'll probably get the final the final Mueller report, you know, in the second quarter of next year, if I had to guess right now. And that's, by the way, that is just like what Dershowitz did himself. Pure speculation. I mean, I have no idea. I have no good sourcing on that one. I'm just going to throw that out there because why not? Everyone else, people are already saying, oh, it's going to be devastating for the president. They have no idea what's in it. Absolutely none. Nothing. But nonetheless, here we, here we are. We are uh, being told all this stuff, being told that this is something that's going to be devastating for the Trump administration. And there's also this other issue that's been getting a little bit of attention, and it has to do with the possibility of getting some answers from Comey uh, on all of this, which has not happened yet. I know some people say, wow, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Um, and there's a little bit of brinksmanship going on here, a little bit of back and forth. Comey says, oh, I'll testify, but only in an open hearing. Uh, Congressman Issa took this whole issue to task. Play clip eight. We need a deposition, not a hearing. Uh, we need real questions asked that don't occur in a five-minute uh, uh, evade situation. Comey can can basically not answer a question for five minutes, and you're on to the next question. So uh, the first and most important thing, public or private, we need deposition. We need real testimony about the real wrongdoing that occurred that is still living with us two years later. Uh, and I think that's that's the most important message for everyone to take is that these two individuals have never answered in a normal deposition mode where there's an hour of question and answer and you're you're given time to answer fully but you're expected to answer he understands how the game is played he knows that the reason comey wants an open hearing is so he can do some usual comey sancta comey oh i just was i was just so busy you know, scraping together as much money as I could from my own personal funds to save the local orphanage. They know that Comey, if he gets in front of cameras, is going to do the usual. I'm the only. I'm the. I'm the only truly honest man in America, and I love the FBI and the men and women of the FBI more than anyone's ever loved the FBI. I mean, it just he he is the most sanctimonious public official uh, that I can think of right now. I mean, it, which which says a lot. I know, but that is why we call him Sancta Comey. But I think that they should get a deposition out of him. I also think that his positioning here, remember, Comey's been saying, well, I won't I won't do it behind closed doors, never mind whether it's a deposition or not, because he says there'll be selective leaks. Well, Trey Gowdy had a kind of interesting idea for how to how to deal with the possibility of selective uh, selective leaks coming out of that. If it were to be a closed door hearing, where we'd finally maybe get some answers about what Comey did with regard to Russia collusion and all the rest of it, play seven. 
Leaks are counterproductive, whether Jim Comey's doing it, whether the FBI is doing it, or whether Congress is doing it. The remedy for leaks is not to have a public hearing where you are supposed to ask about 17 months worth of work in five minutes. I think the remedy is to videotape the deposition, videotape the transcribed interview. Absolutely. Uh, just remember that this desire for transparency that the right has, it, it, it's only going to be matched by the left when they can use the process and, and the so-called transparency processes that the Congress will have access to in order to go after Trump. Then all of a sudden, they'll want endless hearings. Then all of a sudden, they'll want things to be transcribed. They'll want things out there in public, beyond closed doors, all of it. Right now, there's just so little interest in getting to the bottom of what happened with Comey, what happened with Lynch, what they really did in their time in office. Uh, but they will, and I will tell you this, many others on the right won't, because it doesn't behoove them to uh, be honest about this issue right now. Neither Comey nor, uh, nor Lynch is going to face any, any justice of any kind. Uh, I just want the truth so that we can have it. I don't think that there will really be any, any justice done when it comes to Comey and Lynch. So we shall we shall see if I am wrong, but usually I am not. Got roll call coming up here in just a moment. Stay with me. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to eleven. It's time for roll call. All right, roll call. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving, by the way. Mrs. Sexton, that being my mom, did a wonderful job. We had a perfectly cooked turkey, even made gluten-free stuffing for me. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, gluten-free stuffing is still delicious. In fact, I would argue that gluten-free stuffing might, in fact, be superior to normal people stuffing. All right, so to take that, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You are fake news. But no, really, we had we had a great meal. The only problem is that we also had an excellent cheese board, cheese and crackers out beforehand. And I always say I'm not going to spoil my appetite with that. But you know that that kind of cheddar cheese you get at pubs, you know, pub cheddar or whatever you put. Oh, my gosh, I go nuts for that stuff. And also, my mom had a, a watercress cream cheese. All right, I'm just getting hungry. I'm obviously thinking too much about food. Let's get to your thoughts your insights via roll call facebook.com slash buck sexton if you want to be a part of this on air action uh trevor writes do you think this is the next phase of a russian plan to unify the separatist controlled regions of eastern ukraine with crimea you know trevor i didn't really get into detail on the crimea situation on the show tonight i think i'm going to later on this week Long and the short of it is that the Russians have seized some ships and some uh, Ukrainian sailors, and the Ukrainians say they want it back. Uh, they want them back. I have a contact who's an excellent frontline reporter in Ukraine covering the conflict there with those Russian-backed separatists, hoping to get him on the show later this week to talk more about what's going on. But no, the Russians are aggressive. Uh, in these matters. And it's very important to Putin and his overall strategy of making his supporters, at least, think that he's restoring some kind of Russian hegemonic uh, Eastern Orthodox greatness. 
But who knows how the Trump administration is going to respond. I honestly don't have much of a read on that just yet. Timothy writes, Shields High Buck, what's your take on the situation in the Sea of Azov? Well, Timothy, what I just said is pretty much where I am right now. I think the Russians are being provocative. I think that there's clearly reason for high-level concern here, and we will just have to see how this plays out in the next few days. I, I am concerned that the Russians may, because they, they've been a little quiet in terms of aggression in their in their neighborhood for a while, obviously very aggressive in Syria. I do have concerns that this might be one of those moments like what happened in Georgia back in, what was it, 2009, I think, or some of the other incidents that we've seen where the Russians get very, very aggressive in their near abroad. Patrick, what up, Patrick? He says, I'm from Birmingham, epicenter of the new racial martyr. Marches are already scheduled. I'm beginning to believe the end game is a culture of segregation. No matter where this happens, it seems like that is the desired solution. Is this what MLK desired, a less perfect Union, Patrick, I don't know anything about these Birmingham marches you're talking about, so I'd have to look them up. Uh, I, I do think that identity politics, unfortunately, is often trending in this direction of making us even more racially polarized. And, and I think that it's I think identity politics is poison, quite honestly. And it's a poison that our country has been drinking for far too long and in much too large amounts. So uh, I, I do have concerns about this one, and I will continue to uh, look at this. I, I need to look up a bit more about what these marches are. I haven't even seen anything about them yet. Uh, Ray says, totally confused about what's going on here. Is Soros a secret agent for Republicans? Shields high. So Ray is referring to this story where we have uh, people saying that Facebook hired essentially this this PR firm slash private intelligence firm that was saying that some of the opposition to Facebook was Soros-funded or related. Look, th this is pretty straightforward, I think. Facebook has been exposed as both a very progressive organization as well as one that is uh, rapaciously interested in its own profits, even if it preaches a whole lot of redistribution and uh, social justice to everybody else. And that means taking points of view on things like the Soros situation, for example, that are just purely about self-interest in the moment. And I think that's what Facebook did. Uh, so don't be surprised. Facebook is not some jolly company of full of people who are just trying to all be nice to each other. No, Facebook is, like many other companies, all about its own bottom line, but it is a very powerful one, very progressive one, and preachy about everything in the whole process. That's one of the reasons why I find Facebook to be pretty annoying sometimes. Um, but nonetheless, we do use it here on the show. So got to be honest, it, it, is, it is a useful platform, although I'm hoping we can supplant Facebook entirely with our wonderful sponsor, Snippy.com, in time as more and more of you sign up. Aaron writes, hey, Buck, during the past week, this country lost two quartermasters who served in the Navy during World War II. One was well known as the oldest survivor of Pearl Harbor, uh, Ray Chavez, who was 106 years old. He served in the Pacific. The other was my grandfather, Joseph Mahan, 
who served on the USS LCI-592 that dropped off troops in the invasion of southern France in August of 1944. Following the war, he trained as a naval pilot and then went on to become an Eastern Airlines captain for 30 years. After being forced into retirement at 60, he obtained an accounting degree. He was my hero. I just want to honor those extraordinary men and thank all of the men and women from that great generation who served our country during World War II. And thank you too, Buck, for your service. I will never forget Shields High. Well, Aaron, uh, thank you for bringing to my attention these stories. And also uh, thank you to your family for for their service. So I appreciate you writing in and sharing sharing that uh, knowledge with all of us. Adam writes, Oh, Buck, those silly pink hats aren't supposed to look like female anatomy. The corners are just a cat's ears. Uh, Adam, I don't think that is correct. But I think you know that. Oh, Adam is being a little cheeky. He's being a cheeky fella, trying to be a little funny. I see what's going on. Thomas writes, Uh... I watched a segment on Brett Bear's show recently, and I have to say that you did a fantastic job. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. I really appreciate that. I do I do my very best whenever I'm on TV, but obviously I, I have a particular fondness for the uh, Brett Bear show. Um, but he goes on, Fox News, uh, but they were discussing the potential Democrat Party candidates for the 2020 elections. One thing stood out, they all plan to use... Uh, as a basis for their platforms, they all want to return to 1918. How is it possible these people see reality from the other side of the looking glass? Everything out of their mouths now is a direct uh, contradiction of reality. At what point will responsible people in media finally grow a conscience and denounce these insane comments? And enjoyed your segment on Hussein Ibish on Rising as well. He's very adept in encapsulating a variety of historical elements and putting them into context with current events. He summarized the diverse conflicts the president faces with this recent controversy over the disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi and the spectrum of consequences that could result if he caved to those people who insist he sever relations with Saudi Arabia. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Thomas. Appreciate that. And I had to add a little flourish at the beginning there with Thomas because my computer froze. But I'm just going to assume you love my work on Brett Barrett, Thomas. So thanks for that. Richard wrote, uh, you said you didn't know who Baylert is or Bolert. He's a leftist propaganda loser. He used to be a big shot at media matters, but for some reason that aspect of his career has been scrubbed from his Wikipedia. I like to troll his stupidity on on Twitter from time to time. Knowing who he is isn't worth your time. Richard, thanks for telling me who Eric Bollard is. I did not know. I can tell you that Media Matters is a disgusting organization full of losers and people that should find better things, more worthwhile and constructive things to do with their time. It's one of the few media-related organizations out there that I, I just I have absolutely no time for, uh, no respect for, and think should be uh, completely disbanded. It doesn't represent a point of view. It represents an agenda of lies, destruction, and smears, and it uh, it is terrible. So there you have it. That's, that's in case you didn't w- know what I think of Media Matters, now you know. Martin writes, California fire management is almost non-existent. At least they have a handle on the plastic straw situation. Well, Martin, you know, at least now they finally do have a handle on the California uh, fires. They've they've managed to contain them, which is certainly very, very good news. But the fact that people are so hostile to the notion of forest management and and in, increasing forest management to make these fires less deadly 
just goes to show you that they will make this about ideology whenever they can, however they can, even if it means less effective measures for something that we can all agree needs to be addressed, like preventing mass casualty uh, wildfire incidents like the ones we just saw out in California. It's going to be it for the show today, team. Always great to have you with me here in the Freedom Hut. I'll be with you every day this week. Looking forward to it. Shields high. You know who doesn't ban conservatives for saying things like men and women are different? You know who doesn't ban people who have an open mind and want to have conversations about things like climate change without feeling like they're going to get tossed off at any moment? Snippy.com. Snippy.com is a new social media platform that is all about getting the conversation going and no censorship. If you looked at Snippy.com and left in the past, look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations, okay? It's a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. It is totally free to join and open to everyone. So join us at Snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android, Snippy is your new alternative social media. Go sign up at snippy.com.